Hello, and welcome to the Medical Device Success Podcast. I am Ted Newell, your host. The goal of this podcast is to contribute to your success and, in turn, help you contribute to the success of your medtech company. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. This is a crazy time to start a podcast with the coronavirus dominating the news. However, there are important things we medical device professionals can be doing in this altered landscape of strategies and tactics for marketing, sales, and operations. So, working in the era of the coronavirus, hopefully a short era, will be the subject of this first season of episodes. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody, to episode 15, Patient Builder, a win for doctors and clinics and hospitals and a win for medical device companies trying to add value. First, a little housekeeping. Later in the podcast, you may hear an echo of my voice. I apologize for this annoyance, and thanks in advance for putting up with it. Also, a big thank you for your support. This podcast now has over 7,000 downloads across 70 countries. I will continue to do my best to offer you content that helps you succeed. Last week, I asked for volunteers in sales and marketing management to participate in a community beta experience. Thank you for those of you that raised your hand. It looks like I have a pretty good group to start with. I'm starting with sales and marketing management. However, the community will be a home for all levels of medical device management, sales, marketing, and possibly other functions. On to today's subject. Medical Consulting Group has a unique view of the medical device world during COVID-19 due to the fact that it operates on several fronts and has done so for years. I don't know of any other company that has this intimate view of a practice, provider, and industry landscape. Founder and Managing Principal of Medical Consulting Group, Bill Rayburn's nearly 25 years of comprehensive experience in business strategy has resulted in a track record of success in the medical industry. From his Midwestern headquarters, Bill provides consulting and award-winning creative services to a select group of medical and surgical ophthalmology and plastic surgery practices across the United States. His clients have ranged from newly founded to prestigious established practices. Bill and his team are experts at integrating innovative surgical products into practices. His corporate clients include a number of Fortune 500 companies and others ranking among the who's who in the medical and surgical device fields. Under his leadership, Medical Consulting Group provides dynamic and robust practice development programs that highlight device manufacturers' products. And I should say here that even though they, their consulting works with ophthalmology and plastic surgery, their agency that helps integrate technologies into practices goes well outside of those two markets. They've also helped orthopedic companies, for example. And the medical consulting group team trains expert field-based teams that teach surgical practices how to create demand and provides co-op advertising programs through their patient builder program. It is this program that will be the focus later in this podcast. 
Bill, thanks so much for taking time to spend with uh, me and the audience today. It's great to have you here. And, you know, you and I have known each other a long time for at least 20 years. As you know, I've always been impressed with medical consulting groups, span of business and the view it has on practices. So welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ted. Uh, it's uh, it's my pleasure to be here today, and I really, really appreciate you uh, you in- inviting me. And I'm excited to uh, to spend some time with you and 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 discuss our topic. I am too, because a medical consulting group is so unique. So, could you tell us about medical consulting group and the different areas it operates in? Uh, sure. I- I'm the fortunate one that that started Medical Consultant Group and, and the founder of the company. And and uh, just real quickly, my background is, you know, I, I come from the medical industry, uh, spent a number of years in the medical field, left the medical field and went into the financial world, spent a number of, of years in the financial world and and then uh, taught uh, at a university before starting Medical Consultant Group about 31 years ago. Myself, and a, a partner and, and one employee, and uh, since that time, we've uh, we've grown. Uh, we've, we've we've got about uh, oh 48 employees now, and you know we started providing business advice, growth strategies for uh, practices, you know, all around the United States. That kind of led us down a pathway of of developing uh, marketing plans um, as practices continued to grow. We started to develop ambulatory uh, surgical centers. From there, we started to manage ambulatory surgical centers, even taking small pieces of equity of uh, surgical centers, you know, when asked by the physicians. And really, from there, we, we began to manage those centers and really developed a kind of a, a, a unique a robust company that provides services to physicians all around the United States and Canada. So you're working with practices, you're consulting for them, helping them with their business. And if I recall the other day, you actually can help a practice in a number of areas, not only uh, strategic planning and growth, but in in the way they operate and the way they do billing and so on, collect um reimbursements from insurance carriers. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. And, you know, it, it's really those those areas have grown as a result of of clients coming to us and, and saying, hey, we're doing well here, but we really need to, to, to grow here. Can you can you help? And so, you know, as a result of, of providing, you know, business strategies and business growth strategies and and marketing, you know, that kind of led into we do a lot of mergers. Uh, we do some acquisitions. From there, in our ambulatory surgical center side of our business, we were asked, "Can we? Can you manage that for us? Can you help us with our revenue cycle?" That not only worked on the ambulatory surgical center side, but also happened to work on the practice side. So many of our businesses within uh, medical consulting group are really as a result of clients saying, "Hey." We, We've done a good job. You've done a good job in helping us get to this level. Can you help us in these other areas as well? And then I think another service that you provide practices that is a result, again, from requests from physicians and partners and practices for more assistance is you actually started helping them 
do some marketing or outreach to patients. This ties into this product and service that you offer that we're going to get into later, but it started by helping practices with their marketing. Is that correct? Right. You know, a, a lot of our, our growth strategies revolved around we need to educate patients, uh, bring patients into the practice, be able to, uh, to help them. And so as a result, we developed marketing strategies, advertising, educational strategies that really reached out to not only the patient bases of, of, the, of the doctors, but also to new patients of giving them the information to help them make the decision, is this something that would help me in, in my lifestyle? And so as a result of developing those strategies and implementing those strategies, we saw our practices uh, uh, grow and prosper. So now Medical Consulting Group is not just a consultant to a practice, but it helps a practice in its operations it helps its practice and its marketing. It helps manage and sometimes take an ownership position or complete ownership of an ambulatory care uh, surgical center. So now you, you are on the practice side, then as a consultant. You're on the provider side as an ambulatory surgical uh, center. And then you're on the agency side helping people with marketing. And then that led you into working with industry. Yeah, it, uh, it, it kind of puts us in a unique position where when we're working with the practices, we understand the practices' needs. We are able to communicate that to, to, to patients and help patients then make the decision on procedures that leads us into the ability to share that information with device manufacturers and what's really needed today at the practice level to help that device manufacturer really integrate and make their device or their procedure kind of the gold standard. Yeah, that's amazing. It's just a unique business setup and value proposition that you offer different areas of the uh, medical device and provider world that's just very unique. I just find it fascinating. And obviously, you guys have done a really good job at it. So with this particular view that you have, this really wide view that you have going from a practice to provider to industry, tell me, what, what have your consultants been hearing on the practice side about the challenges that doctors have been facing as they reopen? Yeah, I think the uh, the biggest issue today, I think, is how, as a ambulatory surgical center or as a practice, how do we open safely? How, how do we make sure that our doctors are safe, our staff safe, our patients are safe? Um, then there's a big question around, if we do these things, will patients come back? And then, of course, how fast will they come back? So that's really led us to making sure that our practices are doing a good job of, of communicating. You know, I've, I've always said that 90% of the world's problems are as a result of or, or lack of, of good communication. And I think this is an example where if we can communicate with our staffs, with, with, with the doctors, with patients, 
we have a, a, an opportunity to, to really get our practices back to where they were uh, pre-COVID. Bill, I'm just going to interrupt our line of questioning here to share with our listeners something that I may not have shared in the introduction, and that is that Medical Consulting Group has its own podcast. And the reason I think this is important is because I've been listening to your podcast to have a window into this world that we're talking about right now because you've been interviewing some physicians about you know, their experience reopening, and I've found that very, very valuable. You know, we had the opportunity kind of during the you know, maybe peak of COVID uh, back in, in the April, kind of May timeframe of not only interviewing some of our clients from around the country, but we were also asked to, to set in on conversations with that industry was having with, with their customers all across the United States, large markets, small markets. And it was, it was really interesting to get different perspectives on the concerns that the practices had and really trying to help them kind of figure out, well, what do I do next? Where do I go? How do I resume my practice or resume my, my ambulatory surgical center? We expressed at the time, as, as the doctors did, that the attitude of the patients you know, they were scared. And I think, again, the lack of communication was what creates people from being uh, assured that they can be taken care of. And so have you noticed this tension um, when you talk to doctors, they, they talk about this tension in the practice as patients are returning? We have. You know, I, I think the one thing that I would like to share with your, your listeners is I think for the most part, the patients are very grateful the, the practices, the surgery centers that have taken the necessary safety precautions uh, and put those in place to, to, to take care of patients, it, it doesn't go unnoticed by the patients. The patient is, as I said, a little nervous. They don't know exactly what to expect. It's very different than anything they've ever been, been through before. And so those practices that have done a good job of of, of marketing, of, of educating, of communicating with their patients, their referral sources, their staff, um, you know, their other doctors during this period of time, I think, uh, have really reaped the benefits. And, and they've got these new routines that they have to go through with the patients, you know, taking their temperature or uh, triaging them in so that there's not a lot of people in a waiting room and so on and so forth. Um, what has that done to patient volume, the ability of practices to get back to a reasonable amount of patient volume? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, it's had a, a huge impact. When the United States began to shut down and practices and surgery centers began to shut down and in the March and uh, time frame, um, the way a, a, a practice works, as, as I'm sure you know, their revenues that come in generally um, trail the the work that's been done, you know, anywhere from 30, 60 to 90, 90 days. So while they were shut down in, in, in March and April and May, you know, there was no revenue being, being generated, but that's really going to begin to show up. It has begun to show up 
in the revenues that will be that are coming in in you know June, July, and August. And for the most part, with with the exception of patients that were that had you know emergencies or emergent needs, the practices were were really not functioning, and and certainly those surgery centers that provided elective surgery only uh, were not not functioning. Now, as a result, we still had, and our practices still had to go in and see patients, and there were some patients that still had to have, had to have surgical procedures, but, you know, going in to see one, two patients, you know, performing a procedure on one or two patients, the prep, the setup, you know, everything that was involved in doing that really created kind of a, a, a loss to the practice. So it was a little bit of a double double whammy. Um, and, and, and we're now beginning to kind of see that in, in, in the revenues in uh, June, July. And, and I think we'll probably continue to see that even in the uh, early August. And how bad has this hurt practices going forward, like over the next six to nine months uh, economically, speaking, you know, I've read stuff that indicates that a number of practices feel like they have been financially hurt and it'll impact them for a long period of time that those have been surveys, but, but you're a little closer than these survey people are to the practices. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's, it's market by market. Obviously uh, the hot spots for COVID uh, have have significantly uh, impacted the practice practices and, and the surgery centers. I think it's going to be a longer period of time for those to recover. Those practices that, um, or those markets that uh, weren't quite as affected by COVID, uh, who have reopened, I think have a, a better opportunity of recovering, you know, over the next six months or, or so. Okay, we, we've polled our practices around the country and our, our, our surgery centers and Obviously, we have pushed our practices to communicate and to to, to market and to, to their patients and, and be prepared. Those practices are now probably functioning functioning somewhere uh, between you know eighty and ninety percent. What it's what, what's what's happened is it's a longer day for those practices. Mm earlier, they're working through lunch, they're working into the evenings, in some cases on Saturdays as well. So the throughput of patient volume at the practice level has slowed down um, as a result of, you know, having to, to go through other proper procedures to, to let people into the practice. And then just trying to space people out. The same thing is true in the surgery centers. Uh, the throughput has has slowed. Again, I think it's market to market, but I think it could be a good six to nine months, maybe longer, if we don't have a, a, a relapse of COVID cases. Right, right, right. You know, I, I listened to one of your podcasts where you interviewed a retina specialist, and my thought always was that, well, at least in ophthalmology, a retina specialist may have the greatest opportunity of, of rebounding and preserving their practice. But this gentleman who has a very successful practice um, indicated that they may have to consider taking out a line of credit. Ted, I, th- I think the one thing that's really um, helped 
the practices get through these these, these tough times were, were some of the payroll protection programs, the relief funds, and the I, uh, EIDL loans, and 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 just loans in general. We were involved in probably. Gosh, I, I have no idea. I'd have to get a better count, but I'm going to guess somewhere, but you know, between 25 and 30, maybe maybe more than that. PPP loans that we helped or filed for for practices and surgery centers, and, and then we helped a, a whole bunch of other practices besides the ones that we filed on their behalf. Thank goodness for um, for the payroll protection program and, and the relief funds and these other funds because it. It really helped keep the, the, the key individuals in the practice employed, whether it's doctors or, or, or staff. We were able to, you know, continue to, to have those employees uh, while they were at home. They were able to, you know, do continuing education. We also brought people in to help get things Done in the practices that you, in a typical day you just don't have time to, to to get to. The impact from a financial standpoint has has been significant. To say that that will be recouped in a short period of time is it's just not going to happen. So I I think this will be impactful uh, throughout 2020 and probably into 2021. Okay, <clears throat> and by the way, for listeners, I keep referring to the. Um... Medical Consulting Group podcast. I will have a link to that podcast in my show notes. So look for that. It's uh, they're quick podcasts, easy to listen to, and very informative. So when you talk about this impact on the practices, what is that going to have on industry? What kind of impact is that going to have on industry? Are purchases of capital equipment in the practice, diagnostic equipment in the practice, and/or the ambulatory surgical centers? Is that going to be put off? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. And again, speaking with practices from all around the United States, I, I think practices uh, put a big pause on, on on everything. And I think that big pause included capital equipment purchases, integration of, of, of new technologies where the surgeon had to learn a new skill set. And, and they really looked to their... Uh, industry partners, the device manufacturers, to help them with relevant issues, which were how how do I survive? How do I keep my practice intact? How do I take care of patients, my staff, my other doctors during this time that few, if any, have ever been through? And that's a really good segue into the next really important uh, subject matter. So we have medical device companies that need a compelling value proposition to get the attention of doctors in, in this new virtual world. Meanwhile, we've got practices, hospitals, ambulatory surgical care centers that are really being hurt financially. You told me a couple of very interesting success stories related to a service product that has been created by your agency, and I believe it's called Patient Builder. Could you tell us a little bit about this? Uh, sure. Um, you know, Patient Builder is a, a system, a process for device manufacturers to help practices integrate uh, products into practices. It also serves as kind of a, um, a brand 
uh, cop, so to speak, for lack of a better term, make sure that the brand stays intact and that physicians can utilize education materials, marketing materials to uh, inform patients about procedures that might be beneficial uh, to those to those patients. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of background on how Patient Builder got started. We were working with a number of practices around the country, some of them which wanted to implement a new procedure that had come out. We went to the device manufacturer and said, here's what we really need. The device manufacturer wanted to be able to make sure that they were compliant uh, with all of the regulatory issues of, of, of working closely with practices and devices and making sure there were no in- inducements. So they really needed to say, hey, we need a kind of a third party to, to do this, this work. So we developed a kind of a, a digital platform that allows, again, device manufacturers to take their material, their branded uh, material, to make sure that the messaging is um, what uh, it, it needs to be and that that doesn't get changed and, and really deliver that to the doctor so that the doctor can be the doctor. And then that allows the device manufacturer to then assist that doctor in educating his or her patients on a, a procedure that, that they want to have integrated and uh, implemented into the practice. So this is where a doctor with the assistance of the medical device company could actually do outreach to the doctor's database and or even a wider database. Right. And, and again, it, it's, it's, uh, this, this system is used uh, primarily by, again, the device manufacturer and the sales folks in the company to be relevant in helping that practice not only educate their their patient base, but also attract new patients to the practice. And so it's a win-win-win because the practice gets gets some additional patient volume, the medical device device company company sells more of its product, and the patient gets a new technology perhaps or a better technology that they didn't know about before. You're exactly right. And that's kind of the beauty of of what uh, what Patient Builder allows the device manufacturer to, to do. And that's what we're looking for is a way f- that kind of everybody wins. This is one way. And can you summarize one of the success of the stories? Success you told me a couple the other day. Yeah. One was, I think, one was, I an orthopedic-related product. product. You don't have to name the company, name but, company but just tell, tell us tell a little, little bit about what, about what happened. I think what really the marketing group was looking for is how do we – uh, help our salespeople really get into the practice and then integrate and provide a value add to the practice. That value add be, kind of came through, through, through the patient builder program where the sales team could actually say to the doctor, hey, you, you know about our product, you know how it works, we've, we've educated you on that piece of it, now let us help you bring this technology not only to your patients, but to potentially new patients. And so that was done through a number of programs, uh, through digital, social media, through educational 
seminar-type programs and ways in which, again, that practice, that doctor could then reach out and become the expert on that procedure or that product and deliver that education to his or her patients. Our belief has always been that if the doctor can educate the patient appropriately, then the patient will make a good decision. Better educated patients, better decisions are made. Do you have any, like, somewhat statistics? They don't have to be super accurate, but just um, general statistics on what kind of response people have had to this patient builder program? Yeah, we've we've worked with a number of of you know device companies around the country, you know, in different specialty areas, and it's been embraced. You know, in some cases, we've had several hundreds of reps that have reached into Patient Builder. In some cases, smaller. It kind of depends on the size of the sales force. But I would say well in excess of 50% at any one time of the sales force become involved in, in Patient Builder. Again, it's a way for that sales rep to provide something unique and different to the practice. It gives the sales rep an opportunity to talk, you know, maybe less about the product and how the product functions and more about how I can become a trusted uh, partner to your practice. And I think that's really important because a couple of podcasts ago, I talked to uh, my audience uh, my about audience statistics, about statistics that, showed that showed that sales reps in general reps are general not are as not well, trusted well trusted as they may believe they are. And a way to overcome that is to bring something to the practice, to the physician or to the hospital, whatever, that take that takes them up several notches. And I think something like Patient Builder, if it's appropriate for whatever medical device company is considering it, is a way to do this. But, like, do you have any examples of how it might have affected the uptake of a product um, after it was implemented, after Patient Builder was implemented? Initially, what we try to do with Patient Builder is to really sit down and understand the device manufacturer's strategy, who delivers the products, how the products are delivered, how they're used, um, their competitive environment. Uh, That's how we develop and work side by side with with the manufacturer to develop a strategy. Once we do that, then it becomes a process of educating the sales force. And, and again, not all all the sales team want to to embrace it, just like anything else. But I think what we typically see is the high performing sales reps, will again use this as a way to say, I want to be a trusted partner. You're, you know, we've, we do have a good product. I do have a good relationship. The, the, the sales rep, doctor, or hospital, or ASC relationship is very important to that person. And if they see value in it, they want to deliver that value to the practice. In a lot of cases, what we'll see is when we do engage with a company and with a sales rep and with their 
uh, practices or surgery center or, or even hospitals. Um, many of those, I, I don't have a number right off the top of my head, but will we'll repeat use uh, of the program. Again, they may integrate the digital platform, the social media platform. They may integrate the seminar platform. They may integrate the uh, external marketing programs. So they, they, they kind of bite off in pieces um, where they believe they need to start to get traction and then kind of grow it from there. Now, is this an expensive proposition for a company? It's really not. It's, it's, a, it's a digital platform. It's a, di- a digital development. It's software. And then it's labor on, on, on our part. We, we actually have uh, people in our company that work side by side with uh, the device manufacturer's sales team. Actually take phone calls from the sales team and take phone calls from the, uh, the practices around, around the country uh, that are approved to, to use this platform. And so as a result, uh, once we understand the strategy, help to develop the materials or if we or take their materials and, and put them into the digital platform, um, then it's a, man, a matter of, of really managing that platform through the software system, educating the, the, the sales force, educating to the physician level, and that's just um, with our team here and, and labor on our behalf. So it's really not an expensive uh, way. And in most cases, they're already doing, doing some of these things, many of these things. They're just not doing it as robust as what practices need today. So they've already got people probably in, in the companies that are doing some of these things. It allows them the opportunity to, to outsource and to develop a, robu- a, a robust platform. So that's interesting when you say companies may be already doing some of these things. And so what I can imagine is a company has produced some patient education brochures that are sitting in the lobby of the practice. They may have some posters in the practice. They may have an educational video. But none of that has been captured in a way that can be pushed out to the patient via the doctor or the, or the surgical center or the hospital database to really make people understand what's available. Uh, I, I agree with you. And, and, and I don't know what your experience today, but as I talk with folks around the country, uh, talk with practices, a lot of the doctors are telling me that now is not really a, a good time to try to learn a new surgical technique. You know, many of them are asking that the sales forces from the you know device manufacturers not be involved in the uh, the operating room or or in the clinic. And so today, probably more so than ever, I think device manufacturers marketing from from those manufacturers. And salespeople are looking for ways to be relevant to to their to their doctors, um, and this, in my mind, provides an opportunity. This system provides an opportunity for them to to touch base with and be relevant again in, in helping their practice at a time when they're probably not spending as much time with the doctor 
in, in, in his or her practice or in his or her uh, operating room. I think you're exactly right. So how does a company go about working with your team to get a patient builder program started? Yeah, it's pretty simple. It starts obviously with a, a phone call, a better understanding of what uh, that company provides today and what their strategy may be. We obviously sign non-disclosure agreements. Once we kind of have a better understanding of what they have today, how they use it today, what their sales force uh, really does and, and what, what their, how their device works, then um, we engage with them in the, in the development of uh, a strategy that would be one in which could be executed. And I, and I, I say that as a, you, know, you, you think, well, that, that's kind of silly, Bill. Yeah, yeah you got to you have to execute. But I, I think it's really important because we can develop a great platform and put all these you know, materials in and all these educational programs in if the sales group isn't going to be willing to execute or can execute, or there's some barriers to execution, we need to, to know about those. Otherwise, it's, it's, it's a waste of time and money uh, on both the ends. So once we understand that and we're able to work side by side with device manufacturer, then we're able to uh, put the program into a digital format, provide the education um, and the implementation and then uh, roll that out. And that process, you know, Ted is is really can take some time. I mean, it's it's not uh, it's not a set it up and and run it next week program. So they need to get to work on this. Work on you know, I I think, uh, I think you know when we talk you know, when about we expense talk about and expense budget and so on. And so you on. and I talked about this talked the, other about the other day. How much how money companies are saving right now by not being at a trade show. At the same time, they have sales forces that have been pretty much shut out of practices and hospitals and so on and are desperate to have some type of connection. And this could provide one of several different ways of a sales rep to offer value to their uh, doctors and clinics and hospitals. I agree. And I have a life-size picture of that. Uh, my my wife is a, uh, a sales rep and um, has worked for many years in the device and, and biologics field. And she's home. Now she's able to do some virtual meetings uh, with her doctors and provide some value. But she's looking for ways, again, to be, to be relevant. And, you know, they're not they're not going to, to industry meetings now. Those have all kind of become virtual meetings. So I think uh, companies are looking for ways to say, I've got this money in my budget. It's not being spent here. I need to help sales. I need to help sales continue to grow and be relevant and, and provide um, uh, information to their practices. How can I do that? And this might be a way. Yeah, I think so. Anything else we should, else know, we about should know about Medical Consulting medical Group, consulting uh, the group, Patient Builder uh, the program, program, any other things we've talked about today? Uh, first of all, again, if I haven't said this, let me thank you very much for having having me on today. I am really excited to be a, a guest on your program. I love your podcast. I think they bring such value to, uh, to industry today. And I think... Uh, 
like practices, like business owners like yourself and, and myself, you know, we've got to think differently and, and we've got to respond differently. And in order to do that, you've got to look at and explore all your options. And so I, I think I would encourage your listeners, um, as you've done and as I've done, to get outside the box if you can and look at all opportunities to really help uh, our doctors. And if our doctors don't survive, our patients can't be taken care of, then we as people that work in the healthcare industry have, have failed to do our jobs. And, and that's really to help our practices grow and help patients um, get relief from their symptoms and to live a better lifestyle. I agree 100%. And Bill, I really Bill, appreciate I really you taking, appreciate the, time, taking the time um, to um, be on this to podcast this today. Podcast. It's just great to have you here. It's no wonder that Bill and the medical consulting group team are so good at what they do. Patient Builder. It's another tool to consider whether we are in a COVID world or not. So as we all know, for a technology to be successful, it must be thoughtfully integrated into the practice or clinic or the hospital. This is where a lot of technologies fail or they don't live up to their potential. Bill and his team can help get this done. So time for III. That is the immediate impact idea for today. And it is to look at your technology and ask yourself if you and your team have truly integrated it into your customer's environment, whether it is a practice, a clinic, a surgical center, or a hospital. And don't just assume it has because it's getting purchased. Maybe it's not living up to its potential. Ask your customers what they think. So thank you very much for listening today. If you like what you've heard, please share it with a colleague, give it a rating, and subscribe to it. Now go win your week. 